We're in John 4, and we're going to be reading from John 4, verse 35, and we're going to go all the way to John 4, uh, I don't know how far I got in my notes, to tell you the truth. I don't even think I got as far as I was planning on getting. Oh, we're going to go to verse 36, or 38, 38. It might be as far as we get, okay? Now, I want to recap last week for a second, because last week we looked at Jesus' food. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me, right? That was in uh, verse uh, 34. That's where we la left off last week. Amen? Uh, he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Amen? So Jesus' goal was not to come and do his own will. Amen? Can I get an amen on that? Jesus didn't come to do his own will, but the will of the Father who sent him. Amen? And I know we talked at length, probably at nauseum last week, how many Christians today feel like it's all about them. The Christian life is all about, oh, you know, God's going to make them wealthy. God's going to give them stuff, and God's going to make them great. But Jesus, even the Savior of the whole world, did not come to do his own will. Amen? Uh, Jesus, in another part of the gospel, said, I have not come to do my own will, but him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of them which he has given me. Amen? But that I would raise them up at the last day. That's John chapter 6. Amen? Now... Right here, he's telling them emphatically, my food, the thing that sustains me is to do the will of him who sent me. His will or his goal, his food, what nourished him, what satisfied him, what nourished him more than the food the disciples brought him was to do the will of his father. Amen. Now, we asked three questions when we ended last week, and I'm going to ask them again. And then at the end of this, I'm going to ask them another time, okay? And there's a point to the asking is if in the reading of God's word, if there's no application to your life, it is no good to you. Amen? The reading of God's word is not just to get a story. It's not just to get an idea of how to live your life. It is to show you how you are to apply living for Christ. Okay, a lot of us love John three sixteen. Many of us do not like Luke chapter fourteen, where he says, "Him who follows me must renounce all that he has, or he cannot be my disciple." Amen. That means whatever I love, whatever I want, has got to come in second place to God's will. Amen. So we asked these three questions last week. Are you out to accomplish your own will? Is that the goal of your life, to accomplish your own will? Now, we talked very seriously that the world is definitely out to do their own will. Amen? It's all about what makes us feel good. It's all about what makes us feel, feel uh, good, comfortable, what satisfies our desires, right? Why else are we capitulating to things that are absolutely unbiblical, okay? Why else do we even have kids that go, I don't know if I'm a boy. I don't know if I'm a girl. Come on. How do you 
not know that, okay? Who raised you? Who told you? You just are ignoring the fact of biology, okay? We live in a world that says, what I see right here is not true. It's only how I feel that matters, right? They, it doesn't matter that they go to the mirror and see a man. They feel like a woman. The heart is deceitful above all things, the Bible said. It's dreadfully wicked. Who can know it? Amen? The Bible says in Genesis 6 that man's heart and the thoughts of his heart, not just his heart, but every thought of his heart is evil continually. That's what Genesis 6 says, okay? So when people go, oh, I feel this way, yep, your flesh loves sin. Your flesh loves anything that does not resemble God. Your flesh rejects God. Your flesh says, I don't want to do the things of God. I want to do what I want to do. I want to do what satisfies the bottomless pit of my self-love. So are you out? Doing or accomplishing your own will. Number two, we ask, is doing the will of him who sent you your priority? Because a Christian can't live like the world. Can I get an amen on that? Look, I know that I'm, you know, I'm about as Baptist as they get. But me and a lot of my Pentecostal friends will agree on this. You can't live like the world. Can I get an amen? You cannot live like the world. That's anti-Christian. You're living in the spirit of anti-Christ if you're living like the world. Your priority, because you've been bought with a price, the Bible says. He says you are no longer your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. How do I do that, Pastor? I do that in prayer. I do that in reading God's word. I do that in coming to fellowship with the saints. I do that by going to tell others about Christ, which is the topic that we're going to get to in John here. Because that's exactly where Jesus' conversation with his disciples is leading him. Amen? Number three, I asked, have you done as Paul did in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, and beat your body? disciplined your flesh and subdued it to keep it under control to follow the will of Christ and not your own will? That's a long question, but that's an important question. Why did Paul say those words in 1 Corinthians 9? He ends it with this. Let's just turn there, okay? Because I, I don't want you to think, oh, pastor, you're just being melodramatic about this. Paul isn't really saying all that, is he? Sure he is. Go read it. Watch this. Verse 27. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be cast away. That's a big statement. That's a humongous statement. So Paul's desire, Paul's reasoning for putting 
putting his body into subjection. He's saying, body, you're not going to be controlling me because my life is hid with Christ in God. And I'm putting you in subjection because my will is not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Now, is Paul perfect in this? Absolutely not. Because he, we read elsewhere where Paul said, the thing that I don't want to do, I end up doing that. And the thing that I want to do, I don't do that. Now, how many of us have set a time where we're going to pray and then the flesh, the body says, oh, no, no, we can't do that. <laughs> Just like them push-ups you didn't want to do yesterday. How many of us have set a time aside to read, to really dig into God's word? And then all of a sudden, you know, a brother called, son called, grandkids are in the way. Any old thing in the world, okay? Fall asleep. The realities are this, okay? There's three things that you are constantly, and I told my boys this last night. We had a very serious man-to-man -man conversation because my sons are nearly of age to move out and go into life, and I want them to be prepared, okay? But I set them down, and I told them there's three things that you're going to fight all your life, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Every one of them are out to get you off track. The world will do anything and everything to draw you away from God. Your flesh will do anything and everything in its power to draw you away from God because your flesh does not love God. That's everything in the world. Everything in the world. And then the devil is just the same. All the devil wants you to do is not to pray. All the devil wants you to do is not to read. The devil's the one going, oh, don't study that theology stuff. That's, that's no good for you. Listen here, you cannot have an experiential moving faith with Christ outside of theology, okay? Every one of you does theology right now. You just don't call it theology, but you do it. When I say, who is Jesus, immediately you start thinking of who Jesus is. And in your mind, that's theology. Now, I'm going to tell you what's changed in me. I used to have my own fanciful ideas about this Jesus guy. I used to have my own fanciful ideas. And they were really rooted in pagan idolatry of myself. Then I started reading the Bible and I understood there's an actual Jesus that I need to know about who is actually this way and actually that way. There's certain things that he actually taught. And I'm not going to follow anything anybody says about Christ if I cannot find it in this book, period. I don't care what denomination you're in. I don't care how high up you are. The Bible is the word of God fully. It, the, the Bible in, uh, what is it, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God. God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. Why? So that the man or woman of God can be fully furnished for every good work. Do you know why you're not fully furnished? Because you're only trusting in your own understanding. 
You're leaning on your understanding and not God's. There's a psalm for that, isn't there a psalm for that? Lean not on your own understanding, but on all your ways. Acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Why do people walk around with lack of faith? Oh, just a couple of lack of faith, a couple of lack of faith. Why? Because the Bible's where you get your faith from. The Bible's where you get your faith from. You would not even have known about a Christ had not somebody preached this Bible to you. Amen. Can I get an amen? amen? Woo! Look at this. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There's two things that you can do to build up your faith. Number one, if you have a lack of faith, read the Bible. Number two, if you have if your faith is weak, the Bible says, build yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Can I get an amen? That's, that's it. But we don't do those things. We think prayer is obsolete. We think, you know, uh, church is obsolete. Oh, we don't have to go there. But then all of a sudden we go, oh, I'm just struggling. That's because you don't have anybody to help you. We're not meant to live a Christian life by ourselves. Amen? You gotta love your brother. You gotta sharpen your brother. You gotta bear each other's burdens, the Bible says. Amen? How am I gonna bear your burden if I don't ever see you? How are you gonna bear my burden if I never see you? Can I get an amen? That's it. But here, coming back, all those things are because we've submitted our life to Christ, and it's not our will. But it's his will. So the question still remains. Have you beat your body and disciplined it, your flesh, and subdued it to keep it under control and follow the will of Christ and not your own? This week we come to the conclusion of this well experience. Now there's two points that are going to be made and we're only going to get to one of them today. But before we close this discourse, we're going to discover two very real truths. Number one, the field is white for harvest. Number two, Jesus, the Savior of the world. We're not going to get to that last part all the way, okay? Now, I'm going to mention it in closing, but there's so much to that that I, I can't put it in one sermon. today. I can't put it in the same sermon as the harvest because the harvest is very important. And the church is not focused on the harvest. Let's read, starting at verse 35. I'm going to read out of the ESV. I got a King James right beside it. Do not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages, gathering fruit for eternal life. And so, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. Now here's the point. Jesus said, I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered in to their labor. Let us pray. Father God, we ask right now that you would give us, truly give us understanding of your expectations of us.
that we might be partakers of this great commission that you have given to your church, that it is not the responsibility of pastors only or, or pa uh, preachers or evangelists, but it's the responsibility of the whole entire church body to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to hold fast to this profession. Help us model it. Help us live it. Help us proclaim it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, normally on verse 35, there's a lot of speculation. Because verse 35, when it starts out, and the King James says it like this. It says in verse 35, well, if I get back to it, I forgot I turned to Corinthians. <clears throat> verse 35, say not ye, there are yet four months, and then comes the harvest. Now, right here, a lot of people start speculating, okay? They go, oh, man, what time of year is this? Maybe, maybe it's... Uh, December or January and Jesus is telling them, oh, it's four months till the harvest, so we got a time frame right here, okay? Now, it could be true. I'm not saying it isn't true, okay? What I'm saying is that's not the point of this text. The point of the text is not to give you a time frame at all, okay? The point of what Jesus is saying is that you say there's four months and then the harvest. What he's saying is there's normally a space between seed time and harvest time. But spiritually speaking, the time between sowing and reaping is gone. This is the point that he's making. Normally there's much speculation over the time of the year. Jesus is saying, do you not say there is yet four months and then comes the harvest? The assumption is that this is in December or January. Excuse me. While this analogy may be true, it is not made clear in the text. And that's where I go with my argument on that. I'm not going to speculate about all does he mean about time? Is he telling them that it's speculative at best? Okay. I'm not going to speculate about that because you can clearly see when you read the text that it's going into a discussion with his disciples about their part in the harvest. Amen? Consequently, you and I's part in the harvest. Can I get an amen? Okay? It's not made clear in the text, nor do I think it's the point of the text. Number two point that I wrote down. Jesus, to this point has used natural things to describe spiritual priorities. Just think about it. To Nicodemus, he told him, you must be born of the water and of the spirit. You must be born again. To which Nicodemus was totally oblivious to the meaning spiritually. Amen? <coughs> All Nicodemus did was think naturally about Jesus' statement. We also have the woman at the well and the living water and the eternal life that Jesus was talking about. And she totally missed the concept, right? He said, if you, that, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And she was like, oh, give me some of this water so I don't ever get thirsty again. So I don't have to come back to this well and draw water. You see how she missed it? And I think the people that are trying to read into it, oh, the time of the year and the time of, they're missing the point, okay? 
They're missing the point. Jesus is not talking about the time of the year. He's not talking about the field that's around him. He's not talking. He's not. It's not in there. Amen? What is in there is this. Verse 35. When it ends, he says, or when he asks the question, when he asks the question, he says, Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already with harvest. Now look at this. Every commentator agrees on the second half of this paragraph. Every commentator agrees that Jesus is more than likely talking about the Samaritans that are already on their way to see him because the lady left the well to go get him. Amen? She went and told him, come see a man. Remember that sermon? That wasn't that just a week or two ago? Come see a man, right? That's the whole idea. She went to go get them, and they're on their way. Jesus did all the work. He planted the seeds, and he's about to tell his disciples, now it's your turn. You get to be a part of the harvest. Amen? Here again, the harvest, here again, a harvest, but not of a common crop. Jesus is zeroing in on his need to do the will of him who sent him, the will of the Father, and to finish this work. And he is setting an expectation that they make ready to reap where they have not sown. It's exactly where the text goes, isn't it? So we can't speculate on times and seasons. Matter of fact, aren't we told that it's not for us to know? Now we can know the times and the seasons, but that's not the point of this text. Amen? Read the next verse. And he that reapeth receiveth uh, receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto eternal life that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together now there's a lot of speculation on this I want to read just a smidge of a note here if I can uh, out of uh, I believe it's the ESB study bible says this this statement is reminiscent of Amos 9.13. Let's go read Amos 9.13, okay? If you don't know where Amos is, don't worry, nobody else does either. In my Bible, it's on page 1469, okay? If that helps you out. <laughs> Amos chapter 9, verse 13, and we're going to read it. Watch this. <clears throat> Behold, the day comes, saith the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes him that soweth seed. And the mountain shall drop sweet wine, and the hills shall melt. Now, everybody says, oh, this is a... a, a Jesus alluding to this chapter of Amos 9. And it could be true, and that prophecy could be what's coming to pass, and it very well is, because number one, 
Jesus' coming is ushering in the messianic age where those who preach the gospel also reap a harvest of souls. Amen? So it's very well a, a very good correlation between Amos 9 and where we're at today in, our, in the church age. Amen? We understand that. But I think Jesus' statement was more poignant that he is the one who has sown the seed. And they are about to witness the harvest and they can rejoice together. And we can go even a step further and say that it's talking also about the end of the age when all the saints from all generations are finally one and brought into the kingdom of God and we all rejoice together with the sower who is God. Amen? When we're in glory. Amen? But here in this context, I believe it's more immediate. I believe it's right now. They're about to witness the Samaritans come to faith in Christ. Not just that woman at the well, but a whole town. Remember Sychar? I forget what Sychar means. I used to know what it means. I think it means uh, either a drunkard or a place of drunkenness. Something like that. Why don't you Google that for me real quick? You left your phone at home? Man! I'm firing you and Mike now. He left and he's not here to Google stuff for me. Kyle left his phone at home. My goodness. Brian's working on it. Okay, good. I, I know I remember what, I know, I, I'm pretty sure I know what sidecar means, but I don't want to mess it up. Uh, next thing that I have noted on here is most commentators see this as a reference to Amos 9.13 and that Jesus is ushering in a new age, the messianic age. This is almost universally agreed upon right now this the point of this i think is twofold being right now and later on amen you're going to witness this rejoicing right now and then later on amen uh macarthur says this reference to evangelism is having in it a promise of reward tied to wages he said already the one that sows is reaping his wages. Amen. Surely this is true for conversion of souls and the building of the kingdom of God both bring glory to Christ who is our reward and who brings our reward with him. Amen. So I believe there is reward in evangelism. The reward number one is glorifying God. Amen. The reward number two is we will be rewarded. Amen? We will be rewarded later on. Christ is our reward. Heaven is our reward. Amen? Reigning with him forever. That's our reward. Can I get amen? Now, huh? <coughs> it means liar or drunkard. Yeah. Yeah, see? I knew it meant something like that. Because I preached. I preached this sermon one time about that town I think it was three or four years ago I preached about Sychar okay I also preached about the street called Straight where Paul had to go when he was blinded but that's a whole other sermon the one who sows and another reaps alludes to Micah 615 but what is obvious is that it is directly tied to verse 38 
I want you to notice how people will get stuck on this verse 37, though. They'll, they'll get stuck right here, okay? Verse 37 says, uh, Herein the saying is true, one soweth and another reapeth. Okay, and then they start speculating. Oh, this sounds like Micah six fifteen, and it could be Micah six fifteen, but the reality is, it is absolutely tied to the very next verse, because the very next verse is Jesus telling his disciples, "I sent you to reap wherein you have not sown." Amen. That's the very next thing he says. So when he says herein is the saying true, one sows and another reaps, now naturally that's true in those days. Now here in America, farmers normally plant their crop and they reap their own crop. But you got to understand in Jewish society it was not the same, okay? Back then, one group of people was in charge of sowing and one group of people was in charge of reaping, okay? And it wasn't the same people, okay? Now, he's making this earthly analogy for spiritual reasons, right? Because just in a minute, we're going to have the Samaritans from the town of Sychar, the town of liars and drunks, is about to show up on the mountain with them. Because that one adulterous woman who come to know Christ went and told him about a man who told her everything. Amen? And we're going to see that Samaria is just the beginning of where Christ gives us our commission. Going to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. Amen. Samaria already become, began to come to Christ before his ascension. Before he gave us the great commission. Samaria has already begun to get reaped or to... The seeds were already sown, and many, it says, believed in Christ. Now, the point of my message this morning, I want to read my final note before I get to the point. Uh, where he plainly says, I sent you to reap where you have not sown. The others that Jesus spoke of, I want you to get to the end of verse 37, uh, 38. It says, other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. Now, who's these other people who labored? All the Old Testament prophets. All of John the Baptist. Jesus himself. Right? These are the people who've labored. Now they're entering in. Amen? And Jesus is telling his disciples that they will benefit from other people's labor. I think it would be good right now, and it would be worth pausing, to mention that the task of evangelism is the mandate of every believer. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to be closing very soon. We'll start at verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all, what's, all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. 
even until the end of the age. Now turn with me to Acts chapter 1. I know this seems like repetitious uh, Bible trivia, but I want to get your mind in the right spot. Chapter 1, verse 4 of Acts. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he, uh, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For truly John baptized with water, but ye shall baptize with the Holy Ghost, not be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. And when they therefore were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, Wilt thou at this time restore again thy kingdom unto Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put under his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. This is the point. Matthew 28 and Acts chapter 20 or Acts chapter 1 verse 7 and 8 are not just for pastors. They're not just for evangelists. They're not just for teachers. It's for every single believer. Jesus said if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father who is in heaven. If you seek to save your own life, You'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake and the gospel, you will save it. Amen. The point that I want to make to you is we, we talk about all the letters that uh, Paul wrote and the letters that Peter wrote and the letters that John wrote. And we call them epistles. The Bible says that we are to be a living epistle. Amen. We are to be living witnesses to Jesus Christ. Our life as Christians cannot be, I just came to church and I went home. I went to work, never told anybody about Jesus, never, nobody ever knew I was a Christian. Well, and that's true, but I think that statement began in an era where we stopped reading the Bible. And it began in an era where we stopped proclaiming the Bible when we're talking to people about Christ. Because it, evangelism is not me trying to, with my own logic, my own reason, try to talk you into accepting Christ. There is only one way to salvation, and it's through Christ. There's only one way to faith, and it's through the Word of God. Amen? You don't go and, and, and win converts by just saying, oh, God loves you and God wants you and all you got to do is this. No, you give them the gospel, the whole thing, that God is a great God, holy and mighty. He is, he is so great and so mighty that when man sinned against God, it was devastating to the human race that we're all fallen creatures. We are separated from God by sin. And if we don't realize that we're sinners, if we don't realize the separation that sin brought, and we come to God and say, God, I'm a sinner, and I need saved, there is no gospel. You are not preaching the gospel if that's never told to anybody. Period. 
They must know that. They must come to grips with that. Because every, the gospel you hear today is not that. What you hear on TV is, oh, you're, you're I think, oh, I'm not going to say his name. I heard a famous preacher say this. I think everybody's basically good people. I think, I think everybody's basically good people, and they just need Jesus in their life. No, that's not the gospel. The gospel is we're not good people, that we're lost and undone, that we, we cannot get to God. We can't even reach God because we're so sinful. We need God to save us. Amen? That's the gospel. Now, we do give them the good news that Jesus Christ came to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That you're saved by grace through faith alone, in Christ alone. Amen? You're not saved by your works. You're not saved by what you do. You're saved by faith. Now, that is part of the good news. Amen? But the gospel is all of that culminating in them understanding that if they hear the voice of God and they hear the call of God, right now, today is the day of salvation, and they need to come to Christ. Amen? That's the gospel. Huh? Right, right. Well, and that's, see, we, what, what modern Christianity has done is they've separated the love of God from the truth of God. They, 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 they say, oh, we're loving people, we're loving people, but is it loving people leaving them in their sin, right? That's the part we got to understand. Love, God loved us so much that while we were still in sin, he sent his son to die for us. That's true. But in that, we have to realize that we need saving. If I don't see that I'm a sinner, if I don't know that, if I don't come to grips with the fact that I am separated from God, that's not really the love of God. Because the love of God will not leave people in their sin. It will not say, you're okay just the way you are. That's not never talked about in the Bible. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself. You must take up your cross and follow me. Love, just like I love my kids, love without correction is not real love. Love that will not bring a child back into correction is not real love. God's love, we, we hear it all the time that God's love is, oh, oh you just got to love people, Pastor. You just got I do love people. But loving people, just like loving my kids, I can't allow them to continue in things that are bad and bad for them, bad for other people. Amen. So God's love is not exclusively, I'm going to make you feel better. Now it does, but you also have to come to grips with, I need God. And until people see that what they're doing is sinful, until people see what their life looks like from God's perspective, they'll never come to the love of God. Now they'll come to they'll come to a love that I, I've watched it over and over in life. I've I've been this this year's twenty five years in ministry, eighteen years 
as an ordained pastor. And I've, not, I've noted a couple things. When all you give out is love without expectation, nobody sticks around. They'll come and they'll get what they want from you and then they leave. And then you see them later and then they're, it seems like the condition that they're in is worse than before. Because, because there was no expectation set on them. Amen? Because what, what we do in the gospel presentation in modern day, and I'm going to close with this. What we do in modern day gospel presentation is we only, we only talk about John 3.16. Right? God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen? And that's true. There's, there's nothing untrue about that. Right? We also got to read verse 18 where it says, all those that believe are not condemned. And those who don't believe are condemned already. Now, what is the qualifying of believing? Because Jesus doesn't qualify believing as just somehow knowing it. And, and I just believed it that way. James, who was a follower of Christ, says, if one says, I have faith and does not have works, then his faith is a lie because faith without works is dead. So a saving faith, a saving belief is never alone. It's never apart from an actual changed life. Okay? So if we have all these people who pro profess Christ, but there's no fruit. Amen? Now I'm not saying that everybody who doesn't bear fruit, I could, because that's what Jesus said. Every tree that bears good fruit. Amen? He said a bad tree can't bear good fruit and a good tree can't bear bad fruit. That's what he said, right? But I'm not the judge and I can't say, oh, that person's saved and that person ain't just by looking at how they live, okay? I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is the Bible says clearly in Jesus' own words, okay, that if I'm going to be a follower, believing looks like this. I deny myself, take up my cross, and I follow him. And if people are not doing that, I have to question whether they really believe. Or are they just one of those people that are at the last day, Jesus is going to come, and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this in your name? Did we not do that in your name? Did we not cast out devils? Did we not prophesy? Did we not do many wonderful works? And he's going to look at them and say, depart from me. I never knew you. That's why coming to faith in Christ and a genuine salvation is stressed so much in the New Testament. Paul says, let each man examine himself to see if he be in the faith. Amen? How do I examine that? Not by my own standard, by God's standard. What does it look like to believe in Christ? What does it look like to follow him? Amen? Evangelism, sharing our faith is part of that. Amen? When Jesus tells his disciples that you're, I, I, I'm, you, you're going to go in and reap where you haven't sown, what he's saying is I've got the field of Sychar. This field in Sychar is all ready for you. Right? They're coming. They're coming up the hill right now. Now there's some that suppose that 
when Jesus said, lift up your heads, look for the fields are white with harvest, what he's saying is the, 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 the analogy that I've read in many commentaries is that the field would have been green at this point because it was four months till harvest. The, the plants had turned to a, you know, a brownish color like they do when it's time for harvest. So the field was still green and you see all these people in white clothes coming up over the, the hill. And when he says, behold, the fields are white with harvest, that he's pointing at them. Now, this is all speculation. Makes for a great story. Makes for a great analogy. But the truth is, Jesus had planted the seeds when he talked to that woman. And that woman went out and planted more seed because of what she got from Christ at the well. And she brought that whole town back. And when it was all over, they said, we believe now, not because of what you said, but because we've heard for ourselves, Can you imagine hearing the word of God from the word of God? Jesus is the word of God made flesh. And he was speaking directly to him. We need to be that for other people. We need to be living epistles that know this book inside and out, that are willing to talk to people about it, that are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, that we're not ashamed to tell people look you need to know Christ you need to give you need to give your life to Christ you need to understand who Christ is you need to understand who God is you need to understand your need for God you need to understand that right now you don't understand this because you're not of his sheep but we sure want you to be the Bible says he who wins souls is wise Yeah. Well, people get so mad. Oh, they didn't want, they didn't hear anything I said. Go on to the next person. You can't get offended about other people not believing. Guess what? Unbelievers don't believe. <laughs> Amen. Don't get mad at lost people for being lost. It makes no sense. Well, we'll call them believers. Because here's, you know, we had a conversation about church membership, okay? Uh, I, I was in a class, and this guy was preaching, or he wrote a, a paper. And the paper was about how pastors are supposed to go visit church members and things like that. And he said, uh, he said uh, this, this pastor goes and visits this church member, and if they're not saved. And I'm like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. What kind of church? is allowing people to be members of the church that aren't saved, okay? Now, I'm not going to stop any person from coming to church, but to be a member of the church, the number one requirement is you have to believe in Jesus Christ, amen? If you're not a believer, you can't be a part of the church, amen? That's fundamental. If you're not a believer, you're not a part of Christ's church at all anyway, Amen? You have to be a believer. You have to be born again to be part of the church. So when I responded to his paper, that's exactly where I took him. I was like, hey, we can't. I, I, I want to caution you for allowing people to be members of your church who are unbelievers, okay? The church, that means the gathering of the believers. Amen? Amen. Now, we will never stop unbelievers from coming, but I could not, in good conscience, say, 
oh, you're part of the church because they don't believe. Amen. You have to be a believer to be a church member. You have to be a believer to be a part of the body of Christ as a whole. Amen. Not one person in this room was won by anything other than they heard a preacher, they heard a pastor, they heard a Christian. Somebody talked to them about God. Somebody showed them a Bible. Somebody gave, Somebody told them about the Word of God. Someone told them about this Jesus. There is not one person in this room that got saved any other way. Not one. Amen? We want to see churches built back up. We need church people to start going and telling other people about Christ. We need people to start reaping in the fields again. Amen? The field ain't in this building. The field ain't in this room. The field is out there during the week. Amen? The field is Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. Sunday is where the believers come and gather to worship God. Amen? We need to be about our Father's business. Amen. So I'm going to ask that question, that very last question, one more time, okay? I'm going to ask that question because it's important. Are you out to accomplish your own will? Is doing the will of him who sent you your priority? And have you done everything you can to beat your body, to discipline your flesh, to subdue it so that you can follow the will of Christ? And not your own. That's the point that you have to get to in evangelism. You have to say, I don't care what they think of me. I don't care that they don't believe. I don't care that they're going to get mad at me. I have got to come and tell them about this Jesus who changed my life. Who came to seek and to save the lost. Who came to die so that sinners could be brought back to God. Amen. Stand with me and we're going to pray. I know these messages get a little heavy. I know it's uh, never easy when we're talking about this, but I go through my own battles. And I, if you haven't watched Wednesday night service on Facebook, you need to go watch Wednesday night service on Facebook because I was challenged in my own walk with God about praying. Not specifically uh, praying in general, but praying for this church, praying for those who are under my care and being more diligent in leading in prayer and being more diligent in praying and being more specific in praying, being more deliberate in praying. Amen? Every one of us have things that we have to work on. In Christ, in our flesh, in subduing our flesh, everybody there's not one that's exempt amen let's pray heavenly father we come this morning lord this message resounds in my heart and my spirit god that we need to reach the community that we're in Lord, we need to give them the love of God, the truth of God, the gospel of God without reservation. We must not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. 
Because it is the power of God unto salvation to all them that believe. And Father God, I just ask for a blessing on this group of people right now, God. That in their daily lives, in their daily walks, in their daily conversation, God, that they would glorify you, that they would have opportunity, that they would seize upon every moment that they can to share their faith, to share the love of God, to share the truth of God, to share the gospel of salvation and how you made it possible that we could be redeemed. Lord, we ask for your grace in this endeavor. We, grant, we ask for your grace in this enterprise that we would think of it very, very, very uh, 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 soberly and much more seriously. Lord, help us to redeem the time because the days, they are truly evil. And it is time for God's people not to be ashamed, not to be silent, not to be cowering in a corner, God, but help us to be as bold as lions and as harmless as doves. Help us to be as wise as serpents. Help us, God, to be living epistles that other people see that other people hear, that other people know. When we die, God, let our legacy be that that man knew God, that man spoke of God, that man told me about Jesus, that man told me about the cross, that man told me about the resurrected Christ, that man told me how much God loved me, that man told me how much I needed God. Let that be our legacy, God. We don't want our name to be great. We don't, we're not out here to make a name for ourselves. God, we're here to lift up the name of Jesus. And as he's lifted up, we are going to see all men drawn unto him. Help us to be active in the harvest. Help us to be hard at work in the harvest, God. Let us have that passion and that boldness that Paul had that he became all things for all men, that he might by any means win some. Let that be us. Let that be our heart, that we might love people, that we might run after them, that we might share the gospel, the truth of God, and the love of God with them. And let us not be ashamed to do it. We ask, Lord, that you would give us this mercy, this grace that we need to do this. Let your spirit strengthen us in our inner man that we might be bold in our efforts. We ask this, Lord, that you would bless the food that we're about to receive and the fellowship that we're about to have, God, that you would be glorified in it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.